Welcome to Zoom 2020, uh, and I'm going to kick it off by just uh, asking you, Rocky, um, how in the world and what gave you the thought of even starting Influencers? What was going on back then, and what was the year? Share with us. Well, Les, the, uh, the funny thing about it, you talk about the amount of scripture that I, I uh, know, but I can truly say at my age, I've forgotten more than I know. <laughs> <laughs> And I can remember, uh, I can remember the scripture, but I can't remember where it is anymore. So I have to really go to the Bible. But uh, to answer your question, uh, what kicked it off? What started it? And you know, um, I believe the journey began in my life about ten years before it went public in two thousand one. And. Um, now you have to understand, uh, I was one of those guys that I didn't have a mentor. I didn't have, I didn't have a man that was pouring into my life. And uh, that was pretty typical of men my age in the 30s. We just didn't have a lot of them out there. We didn't have fathers that were our mentors. I had a, a godly mother. Uh, I had some uh, teaching pastors that... Uh, that I think spoke truth to me, and that meant a lot to me. But I think the truth is, is that it was the the desperation of the type of the life that I was going through with my career and various other things and disappointments, a lot of disappointments that drove me to get along with God in scriptures and try to find answers. And uh, I guess I was just smart enough to believe that all scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching correction. Uh, training and uh, correction, instruction, and righteousness, Second uh, Timothy three sixteen, and I I read that and I I I say okay, all Scripture is God breathed and it's for my guidance, and I just took it at that. I just started saying okay, if I have life that I'm dealing with, then God's got all these promises and guidance in His Word that. He has said he'll guide me. And it was really funny because I was in my probably mid-30s, um, 36, 37, maybe 38. Every morning I would get up and I would take my journal and I'd take the Bible. And I had a, and I had a kind of a, a way that I did it. I would, I'd write down, here are my circumstances that I'm going through today. And I'd pour out my heart. Man, I'm having problems with my work. I'm having problems with this relationship. All of these things. I would, it, I would put the third circumstances out there. And then I would look for the scripture or the promise that applied to that particular uh, circumstance. And then I would write that down. And then I would start taking that promise, applying it to my life. And then I began to watch God direct me how to deal with relationships, how to deal with decisions, how to deal with certain things. And I really do believe that that was the mentoring process that the Holy Spirit took me through because I didn't have a mentor. I learned to self-feed by desperation. I, I, I 
learned to self-feed because I needed to have guidance. I needed to have assurance. And I didn't have any. And But I found that in that process, he taught me how to self-feed. And I began to see that it was a critical process to help other people find the same thing because all of us need direction. All of us have a need for divine insight about the, how to deal with relationships or how to deal with a job situation or how to deal with a, a death or a loss or a disappointment. All of those things are in lives. And, and the scriptures talk about that God's promises provide us everything that we need for life. So it's a, it's a matter of learning to find the promises and apply them to our life. And so that was the beginning process right there. And I was pouring out with other people. I was using other discipleship programs. Most of those programs were, were pretty much the same in the fact that they, they did have required verse memorization and they wanted you to have a quiet time. And they wanted you to have the basic assurances that you would get in scripture. They wanted you to learn how to have an extended time of prayer. All of those were good things, but there was something that was missing. And that was the love relationship. The hard connection was being missed. And I was taking many, many people through programs, a lot of them. And in fact is, is I was frustrated like crazy because one, all of that I was pouring into them was not, was not reproducing. It was not even sustaining because once they were out of their groups, they would kind of fall back, go back to seed. And I'm appealing to the Lord and I'm asking, what's going on? I don't know why I'm investing all this time in people and I don't, I don't see the fruit of it. And in 1985, while journaling through scripture in John 15, then I came across those key scriptures that we all know. And that is, I am the vine and you're the branch. And if you abide in me, you will bear fruit. But apart from me, you will not bear fruit. And it was in 1985 that I had an aha moment. And I said, there, that's, that's the problem. That I'm trying to do all this on my own power. I had good intentions. I had excellent effort. I had a work ethic like crazy. I was giving it my best, which I've always done. But I was missing the mark. The fruit was not supernatural. The fact is, I was frustrating my own spiritual gifts, and they were not being enabled because the fruit of the Spirit was not evident in my life. And when I, when I, when I saw what was happening, I saw the missing connection there. Then I began the process to, to change my sight away from trying to produce fruit to instead to try to learn what it means to abide in Christ. And that was the next 10 years. The next 10 years where God began to show me what stood in the way. Because he's there waiting. He's saying, come to me. I want to give you this, but there are certain things that's got to get out of your life because they are hindrances. And again, I didn't have any kind of guidance here. I didn't have any kind of, you know, somebody telling me what to do. I mean, this was honestly, it's kind of new. Nobody 
talked about abiding in Christ is that was not really taught. It was almost like a 2,000-year-old secret. Why am I discovering this? And I guess it's because of that one thing that I told you in the beginning, and that is I was dealing with circumstances that were frustrating me. I looked for answers in scriptures, and the scriptures guided me to say, here is the reason why, because you're trying to do this on your own. And so, Les, to answer your question, that was probably now the next 10 years of trial and error, breaking, remaking, because there is a forging that happens to remake a man. You know, we come into this world, uh, God creates perfect little children, and these little lives are sweet and wonderful, but then they're corrupted as we get into this world. The world corrupts us. The, the whole system corrupts us, and we become flawed, become wounded, we become broken. And so what happens in this intimate relationship with Christ, he begins to remake us. He reforms us. We're malformed by the world. But the intimacy with him begins to reform us. But reforming us oftentimes requires breaking and remaking. And that was the process for me. Breaking and remaking. A lot of disappointment along the way, a lot of broken dreams, a lot of disappointments, a lot of career changes. I wrote a book a few years ago, didn't want to, but I was asked to, and, had, and it had to do with trying to, to lay out, you know, I can look back over my life and what were the strategic parts in it. And I didn't want to do it, but then the Lord said, this is not about you, this is about me to you. And that's what I want you to write. And I wrote the book called Forge for Vision. And as I look back over the 74 years or 72, whatever years I was old when I wrote that, I was, I, I was able, it was cathartic, first of all, because I, I, I revisited things that were shameful in my life. I revisited times in my life that were major disappointments. Dreams of athletics were ended abruptly. And I've had this trajectory going to professional baseball or football, either one, and inside of one year, both of them were over. And then I, I saw that disappointment, but also saw it take me down a different path. And then I went down that path, career path, and then I had another disappointment that took me down another path. And rather than being linear, my path has been zigzag like this with strategic intersections where God said, take me this way, learn from that, bam, change direction. But it always has been leading toward where I am now. Because I do believe there has been a divine orchestration where God has been trying to win my love, to show me that he loves me, to surrender to him, to move into personal abandonment and absolute trust. And I had, to, I had to be reformed. He had to remake me because I could never be the man I am now and doing what I'm doing now if I were the man I was 40 years ago or even 20 years ago. It's always been a process. So in 2000, uh, excuse me, 1994, 
there was a strategic time in my life. Because there's a, there's a word called consecration. And I was reading a little book by Hannah Whithall Smith. She's a little Quaker lady. In 1994, and she, she wrote these words, and this is by memory. It's not quoting exactly. And she said that a Christian will never know the peace that God wants him or her to have unless they consecrate their life to him. And consecration of your life will will require personal abandonment and absolute trust. And it was right then in 1994 that I realized I was holding back, that he'd been taking me all of these years, showing me something far better that he wanted to do for me, but I didn't want to let go. I was afraid to let go. I wanted to keep control. I wanted to make sure that I could dictate the narrative here. I wanted to have a way out of this if it didn't work. And God brought me to that point that said, you're either all in or you're not. But you can't keep playing with this. If you want what I want to give you and what you long to have, you've got to go all in. And I remember in 1994, I said, I'm all in, Father. I'm all in. I even remember where I was. I was on a little porch beside my house. It was early in the morning. just read that book, and I realized that's what's missing. I had been shown a strategic thing a few years ago. What was missing? I was not abiding in Christ. I was trying to force it. Now I was being shown another thing, and that is he wanted to take me to a new place, but it's going to require consecration. It's going to require being all in. And I did. Now, I'd like to say that at that point, everything was sweet. I mean, it just, everything fell in place and we didn't have any problems at that point on, but that's not the truth of it. The truth of it is I lost my job. The truth of it, I had a betrayal. But at the same time, the truth of it is I had to start my own company. And then when I started my own company, not not long after that, because I had more time, I began influencers. So the bad turned to good. I was a strong man. I ran a lot. I was physically strong. And a lot of what I did relied on my personality and the strength of a man. But God broke that man. And he required of me 18 orthopedic surgeries, which I'll have another one as soon as this plague is over. But those, some of those were life-threatening. Some of them almost took me down. But they didn't. And each one of those, although it weakened my body, it strengthened my listening. Because it's in the pain, and it's on my back, and it's in that being out of control that such a massive amounts of download comes to, to us. And it was during that time, every one of the books, all of the material, everything that you read now was begun or completed. That was when it was downloaded. And it's still being downloaded. And I connected the dot. 
I remember Paul saying that about himself. He said three times he asked God, take the thorn from the flesh. And, you know, he was a strong man. He was intellectual. He, he, he had the theology down. He was a, a, a few of Jews. He could argue with the best of them. But because of that, he was not his best. And God gave him a thorn, and he didn't want it. I could do so much better without this thorn, Lord. God said, no. I'm not taking it away because my power is perfected in your weakness. And that's when Paul said, well, therefore, I'd rather boast about my weaknesses that the power of Christ may dwell in me. And I connected that dot. That's what God was saying to me. Rocky, in your weakness, I can do more with you than in your strength. And you've got to trust me. Let me have my way with you. And I will do things that you can't do. Now, all of that had to be fleshed out. All of the things that I shared in the first journey group in 2001 was from personal experience, not theory. And that's one of the things God said to me. He said, I'm, you're a businessman. You're not a theologian. You're not a preacher. And I don't even want you to be a salesman for sure. I want you to be honest. I want you to share from your experience, not theory. I've given you enough experience with me, with your life, that I will take you into the hearts of people, and they will see that I'm there for them. And that's all I want you to do. I want you to keep it simple. I want you to make it about me and always make it about me. Don't ever, don't ever stray from that. If you do, I'll pull away. But if you'll make it about me, I will always be there for those people. And the end. So in 2001, I was at a point where I couldn't, I couldn't keep it in. And that's, that's what happens. You know, a disciple has to make disciples. You can't be a disciple unless you're making disciples. And I had come to that point where God was saying, now I want you to reach back and help others. And that's when I took seven men in 2001, businessmen. Two of them I had already led to Christ. They were older. They were guys in their 50s. Most of them were pretty successful guys. And, um, and I told them, I said, look, I'm on a spiritual journey that I know that there's more of God that I need and there's more of me that he wants. And there's no more of him that I want to know about. And I think it's going to be found in this intimate abiding relationship with him. I want to ask you, if you will go with me for the next year, meet every two weeks for two hours the next year. And what I'll do is I will give to you what I think he's telling me to give us. To look at. And so they agreed, and we met every two weeks for two hours from 6 a.m. to 8 a.m. And during those two weeks intervals, intervals, that's when God downloaded the journey to me. Now, after a year, I was ready to check it off and go get another group and say, guys, I hope it blessed you. Go with God. And 
And we had I had several of those guys say, wait a minute, hold on, hold on. This this can't stop here. It's got to go to other people. I didn't think about starting a ministry. I didn't think about being a writer. I wrote The Prayer Cottage in the Sacred Garden for those guys for their last commencement. I wrote it for them. And I wasn't thinking about writing a book. I'm just trying to help them learn how to pray, pray more deeply. But all of these things have unpacked uh, as I have gone. I have, I've never had a vision to build a ministry. I've never had a vision to be a writer. The only thing I've had is a desire to walk with Jesus and help other people learn to walk with Jesus, to walk with him and then reach back and say, come and go with me. Now you help other people come and you help other people come. And that's been the strategy other than prayer. Praying the whole time that God would raise up other leaders, other people that would join this. And now look at you. There are 214 people on this call. There are tens of thousands of people now part of this ministry. And it was, it has to be Jesus. Can't be a man, can't be men, can't be any of that. It has to be him. But the one thing he does require, and that is he requires us to give ourselves fully to him and don't hold back. So, Les, that is the origin of uh, influencers or the journey. Let me take the next step because after the uh, first journey group, those guys wanted to take the journey and began their own group. So we started seeing a natural, naturally reproducing organic process, which most of the time it requires organization, it requires efforts and all that. This, this was just reaction. And then those guys started groups and they started seeing the same thing. They started seeing these spiritual epiphanies that were turning their life around. Then it, then it, jumped the, the ocean and went to Egypt and was translated in Arabic and then it got translating a lot, a lot of different languages. And so in 2004, it had gotten to the point that the ministry was growing so much that, that it was apparent that I had to now leave my career and burn my bridges and uh, move forward full time in, in the ministry. So I was the first employee and we got a few more now, but not a lot. But anyway, that's, uh, that, that will get us to a point where you can ask your next question. <laughs> Rocky, I would just say, I'm, I'm gonna go to what we're currently in today, the COVID virus, and knowing uh, what that has done. And I've heard you talk about hope. I've heard you talk about uh, excitement during these times, but I would tell you, uh, my very own wife has been struggling like crazy with this. And I would ask all of you on the call to be in prayer. My good friend Dan told me that this would happen, that your your wife would go into a spot where she's crying every morning. She's at the window uh, and her face is up against the window, just some tears left and right. And that's been the case with my wife and I haven't known what to do. So finally, after four days, I decided I needed to let her in. <laughs> So now everything's good. Everything's <laughs> good. But in all seriousness, Rocky, I would ask you, um, what is the hope you would tell us with what's going on now? 
People out there are doing things they've never done before. Uh, they are lost. Uh, they're trying to find a way. And uh, is it an opportunity for us as believers? How, what would you say to the group that's on here about what is the hope for us? And, and what do you see? How can you encourage us during this time? Well, you know, you hear the words real, reality check all the time. And as a Christian, we are having a reality check. I mean, the fact is, is that didn't we kind of expect this was going to happen? I mean, we have seen our country that's been going off the rails, and we've seen the church in this country becoming powerfully anemic and losing direction, losing its, uh, losing its voice, losing its heart. There's some good churches out there, and there's some great Christians, but there are a lot of churches that are anemic and they're not, they're not impacting the world like we're raised up to be. And I think that what we have is that we have a reboot by God. I really do. I think there's a reboot. I think that he's saying, okay, now do you hear me? And for years, um, some guys back here and I have been praying that God would would bring on a great awakening. You know, in history, we've had a great awakening in different periods of time in England and New York and in history. And we've been looking at this for a good while that, man, this country needs a great awakening. The church in this country needs a great awakening. We need to be brought back to who we are. You know, we are the bride of Christ, guys. I Man, I know you probably don't like thinking of yourself as a bride of anybody, but we are the bride of Christ. And yet, do we anticipate him coming? Do are we looking forward to his coming or his return? Or do we even think about it? Are we planning on it? Are even are we even giving our life to that? Or is our life centered on this world, this life? If it is, you're going to have a reality check. And the reality check is this world will let you down. We like to think that we have everything under control. We got a lot of stocks. And then what happened a couple of weeks ago, the stock market lost 30% or more. How's that going for you now? And then we think about our health. Hey, man, my health, I've got good genes. You know, everything's fine, this, that, and the other. But now people are running for cover from an invisible threat that's coming all around us. People had jobs. The economy was good. Man, everything was really, really great. We were riding a high horse three weeks ago. Where are we now? The reality is we realize we're really not under in control. Now, that might be a bad thing for a lot of people, but for the body of Christ, that's a good thing. Because the reality is that we never were under control. Control is an illusion. We don't, we don't have control of this life. We don't have control of our life. But we have sovereign God who is in control of it all. And the question is, do we submit to sovereign God's control or do we hold on to an illusion of our control? 
Because if we hold on to the illusion, you'll never find the peace. But if you submit to the sovereign Lord, God's control, and you rest in it, then you find the peace that surpasses all understanding. Now, here's the reality. God wants his family to live in the peace. He wants us to live with the expectation of his return. He wants us to live with an understanding that he knows and cares and is willing and is able to deal with our life, everything about our life. He knows it. Now, do we want to get under that control? If we do, then we can find a peace that surpasses understanding. Uh, otherwise, we'll be out there with the rest of them, and we'll not know what's going to happen. But I know what's going to happen, and you know what's going to happen. I do believe less that we are seeing signs of the last days. I don't see how we could even look at this and not realize it. We've got all kinds of things. We've got plagues. We've got locusts. We've got storms. We've got wars. We've got everything going against us. And from a biblical standpoint, it's just science, man. It's science of the times. And I think some people could be scared of that. But, man, the body of Christ ought to be excited about that. And so the question is this, is that how can we get through it? Well, we need community. We need each other. You know, there's a scripture in Hebrews 10, 24, 25, says, let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good works and not forsake the assembling of ourselves as, as is the habit of some. And all the more as we see the day drawing near. And as the day draws near, we need more than ever to not forsake the assembling of ourselves. This is where we need to come together in whatever creative means we can. Thank God for Zoom and all the other platforms that allows us to do what we're doing here. We're looking at each other in the face. We're seeing our smiles, seeing tears. We're seeing each other. God has blessed us with that. And the fact that we can come together in this platform keeps us from being isolated. And the body of Christ is raised up for a time such as we're in. This is where we take front and center and become the messengers for God. This is when it's really good for the church. And I believe, honestly, I believe right now that what is happening, there are more people that are turning their eyes and their hearts and their minds and their hope to this Jesus that they've heard about or read about or thought they knew. And now he's becoming extremely relevant to the fears that, that we're feeling. He's bringing hope. And I believe this time right now, when we're able to reassemble. We're going to have churches where people are crawling out the windows. We're going to have more people that's getting excited about Jesus. I believe we're sowing right now, but the great harvest is going to be following this. And the best thing we can do is to hang in here during this virus, to do our best to protect ourselves, to be wise, 
I think the guidelines are giving us about social distancing is good for the time being. But we're social people and we need to be together. We need to get back to that as soon as possible. But right now, we need to consider all the creative means that are available to us to reach out and help people. Either email them or text them or call them or write them. But stay in touch. People are in need. People are frightened. People need to be encouraged. And this is our finest hour to do that. The last thing I would ask you, you know, back in 2006, we'd just done the journey and we were halfway through it. And uh, two guys, two friends of mine, Collins Reimer and, and uh, Cap Prelip, uh, you asked us to come back because you were going to have a strategic planning session for influencers. We were honored to be invited to come, and so we came. Got on a plane and flew to northwest Arkansas, and we got there, and we were very surprised. We thought we were coming to talk planning and the future in the business world. But you had us come there because for three days we were going to pray. And that was your call of what is a strategic planning meeting is to gather and pray. And we got to pray for three days. It taught me worlds, Rocky. So I'd like you just to share with the group what this ministry is found on prayer and, and what would you um, attribute that to and why? Well, I heard somebody one time say that, that man can build something uh, that man can do and only man can achieve. But if God builds something, it will be something God can build and God can achieve. Now, which do you want to build? this ministry. And I knew early on that I wanted God to build this ministry. Now, I was a businessman for 35 years, and I did everything a good businessman did as far as planning, as far as goal setting, as far as activity, as work, um, measurements, all the metrics that go along with it, best practices, all the things that you do in business. I did it. I did, did it well then. But I realized, and and then, and then most of the early people that came on this were businessmen that I discipled and brought into it. And so they represented our initial leadership list. And uh, when we had our first, I would say, roundtable meeting, that was right before we got our board established, and I was trying to pull together a leadership team. And, uh, and these were guys that had gone through the journey and their lives had been rocked. I mean, they were just really excited about Jesus. And we got around the table and we began to discuss how to take this ministry outward organizationally. Mm. I began seeing uh, a dynamic that occurred, and that is I saw their faces that were had this glow on them when they came to the table. But when they started talking about strategy, there was another look that came on. I saw a hat come on. It's called businessman. And there were about, about eight of them around the table. And I said, okay, I want to thank you for being here, but you are fired. We're going to redo this thing. And so the first group of guys, I lovingly fired them and said, we're not going to go this route. We're not building a ministry based on business principles. You're all successful businessmen, but I'm asking you to be a part of the leadership of this ministry, not as a businessman, but as a godly man. And we want to find God's strategy for building the ministry. And we do that through prayer. 
but you can't hear him if your soul's not healthy. So that was the first thing that I said to those guys along with myself. And that is, if I'm going to lead, then I have got to be soul healthy. I can't have any, anything in, in the way of this, of God's download to me, any hindrances. And I can guarantee you that an unhealthy soul will create hindrances. So I, I began working on these, these leaders first and foremost about wanting to make sure that their relationship with Christ was unhindered. And then once that happened, then I started taking them to their knees and on prayer to come to God and ask for vision and understanding and next steps. And true to life, he's all, true, true to form, he always unpacks what we ask for if we come to him on our knees asking him to do it. So that began that way in, in, in 2004 when we basically formed up. And it's been going that way ever since. And that's why all of, all of our boards, our global board, as well as our regional boards, we're always saying, asking the question, how's your soul? Before we ever get around the table talking strategy about anything, how's your soul? What's God saying to you? What, what's your need right now? How can we pray for you? You know, Les, uh, I think it would be interesting for everybody to know this, that we don't have a lot of staff. But uh, each one of our staff are given some clear guidance when they come on board, and that is this. Here's the nurture and protect talk. And I've always said this to them, and that is the first thing you've got to do if you're on staff of this ministry is nurture and protect your own soul. Guard your heart. Protect it. Then nurture and protect your spouse. You need to make sure that your spouse is healthy and so healthy. And don't go anywhere unless you're taking care of her. And then nurture and protect your children because they're next in line. You can't forget them. Then nurture and protect your boards around you because that's your leadership team. You need to make sure their souls are healthy so that you're joined together as a partnership, a team. And then after all that nurture and protecting is done there, now go out and do your ministry. And that seems to be the, the basic fundamentals of keeping this ministry healthy and keeping it focused on Christ. And that is, it's everything about us is inside out. It's got to be healthy there or it won't be healthy there. We can't just go out here and do great stuff. That's, that's contrary to this whole message that God's given us to abide in me, you'll bear fruit. Instead, it's that we're saying, oh, I'll go bear fruit, and if I bear fruit, then I can abide in him. No, it doesn't work that way. It's always inside out, always. And I believe, honestly, that that's why we have the anointing of God on this ministry, because we've always taken that as a very, very serious thing to do. And you know, the whole, the whole model that Jesus gave us is that he didn't come to the masses. He came to the few. But the few were highly committed to him. He won their heart. He became Lord to them. And then the few were anointed with the Spirit. And the few, and there were 120 of them in that upper room at Pentecost. The 120 turned to 3,000 in one day. And then the exponential growth has been growing ever since, but it always starts small. It must always go deep. 
And we should always be praying big because we have a big God that does big things. And so that's, that is, you know, the thought there. Thank you, Rocky. Um, we're going to close right now by playing a worship song. We just finished talking about prayer. What a blessing, Rocky. Absolutely beautiful. Thank you for speaking from your heart. You're truly just a, a blessing from the Lord. So thank you.
nothing but all you have given me Jesus bring new wine